Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. And today we're going to talk about the very scary subject of sexuality. And we have one brave person going to talk about that today. So the body love card on the front is the goddess and the little deer power animals shaking their booty and dancing and having fun with their bodies. And I think of it as a sort of a sensual card. And there's a spiral going on. There's a lot of energy here. So on the back of the card reads, our relationship with food, body size, and sexuality are complex. By exploring the link between negative body image and sexual shame, we can begin to respect and love our own unique beauty and then hold our bodies and sexuality as sacred. We can then reclaim our sexuality for ourselves as the pure, precious, and honorable force it is. And how different is it that we can think of sexuality as honorable? In this culture that has really smushed down the idea that you can be an honorable sexual presence. We're so crazy in this. There's so much sexual molestation instead of sexual pleasure. And even sexual pleasure is like hidden. You're not supposed to talk about that or be okay with that or even have that. That's weird. That's uh, uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about that. But it is a huge issue when I, like my guest, I'm sure, try to work with people and we bring this into the room of how is your sexual life? And they're like, well, well, I'd rather talk about how many jelly donuts that I eat. (laughs) So much more safer than start talking about some part of us that is so unique and God has given to us. I was taught by the Catholic church that I was born into and the family I was born into that you didn't have sex unless you wanted to have a baby. And so if you didn't want to have a baby, don't have sex. At that time, there was the rhythm method that was okay or approved. And of course, I have my son to show for the rhythm method, (laughs) which is how well that worked. But before we had the pill and before women had the idea that they could actually control that. And even to this day, we're a country that still tries to control women's bodies, still tries to say that they're not capable of deciding when they can have a family or not. That is crazy to me. So I became a sexual person in the 60s, and and now, 2021, we're still having the fight over whether women can have choice or not. I really can't hardly believe that. 
So today we have a wonderful guest, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us what she's doing with her life right now, and then we'll have a talk about sexuality and maybe get blushing and red-faced about it, but we're going to soldier through. <laughs> so. I love it. Thank you for having me. My name is Arielle Whitlock. I'm a marriage and family therapist and certified eating disorder specialist out in the Roseville, California area. I co-own Eating Disorder Collaborative. It's a collaboration of therapists that we work with eating disorders, but most of our hearts are really in trauma. And so a lot of the people that I work with are trauma survivors, particularly of sexual trauma. So when you told me that not many people like to talk about this topic or pick this card, I laughed. I'm like, that's what I do all day. <laughs> right. I talk about sex and sexuality and I love it. And well, I probably think not that, at the grocery store. <laughs> sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think it's something that we do need to talk about. And especially in the field that we're in with food and body image, like it baffles me that we aren't talking about sex and sexuality more. Well, and in a way that's recovered or in a way that is positive or is not icky. I mean, we talk a lot about how many women are raped or how many women are not able to go to school in Afghanistan, but we don't talk about how beautiful it is and how good it is and how just another part of our bodies. We don't. You opened with talking about like honoring our sexuality. And one of the things I think of is sexuality and objectification have really become intertwined. Like objectification of, and I'll just say women for this purpose in our talk right now, but like sexual objectification for women is becoming an object, an object for somebody else's pleasure or someone else's viewing or somebody to dominate over. And so that has really, it may have been birthed in a patriarchal society that we live in with like Catholic church or Judeo-Christian beliefs or moral beliefs that other spiritual belief systems might have interjected, but really that objectification of women and in sexuality have become so intertwined that it's hard for women then to kind of say like, I don't want to be an object, but I do want to be sexual. That's one of the first places that like start to break away. Like you don't have to be an object. Your sexuality is for your pleasure. What a concept. For me, growing up in the 50s and 60s, that I could see that women's bodies were used to sell car parts or insurance or anything, bread. We still see that today even. Yes. And there's an objectification. Like if you look at the Kardashians, they get broken down into parts. Look at Kim's butt or look Ankles. at this. <laughs> it's a capitalistic thing for us to kind of use sex to sell. Yeah. Exactly. And I go to other countries and I don't think it's as bad as other countries when I travel, but it's still there. However, what is also there a lot of times is the beauty of bodies for art's sake. And here, it wasn't that long ago that we had, I believe he was a, I can't think of what he was, but I can put that in later. But he wanted to cover up statues in the Senate like the statue of justice has one breast shown holding scales. And he put a drape on that side so that nobody <laughs> saw the statue of a woman's breast with the friggin' justice statue. I mean, it just 
to me was like, oh my God, you are so stupid. But anyway, yeah, how did we get here? That's all you got to know about that. Yeah, the other thing that you talk about is like reclaiming your sexuality. So like, I think that harm has been done on sexuality on a broad spectrum. Like you have the harm of just living in our society, the potential that harm that maybe you did have an assault. And so whatever spectrum you're on, there could be harm to sexuality. And so it's like learning to reclaim that. It's a hard process, but it's like the process of you get to own your sexuality. And that even in the story that you're talking about growing up, like your sexuality wasn't yours, your parents or the church or whoever. But even in the turn of I get to own my sexuality. And what does that mean? If you own the pleasure of this body, and that sometimes scares people, especially if you are struggling with an eating disorder, you don't have pleasure in it. You're like, you don't have pleasure in the size. You don't have pleasure in the feeding. You don't have pleasure in sexuality is like mind blowing to think about. It's so true. But coming from like the Brene Brown, like owning your story, like owning your body, that's like, you're right in this life, in this rite of passage, you get to own it. But we often tell people, not only women, but also men now, that they must look a certain way to be sexual because none of us want to see a belly. None of us want to see somebody that doesn't have a six pack, which of course is not. But if you look on uh, dating sites, everybody is, of course, at their best self, but it's about their body instead of, I'm a loving, kind, wonderful person who is good to others and has a sensual love life with myself. Never put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have clients when they go to write their like little blurb about themselves, talk about that. It's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But, and why not? We can say, I love animals, but we can't say, I love myself. Why can't we say that? Yeah, I think that's the perpetual shame, like in society. Like, society loves when you don't love yourself because then they can sell you something. So, you don't love yourself. So, let me give you this bra that's going to make your boobies look really big. Or, you don't love yourself. Let me sell you this plastic surgery. So, I like to help people learn to be a little bit more literate in what they are buying into. So what is it that is really making you buy into that? And I do love this next gen, the Gen Zs that's coming up because they love to like have different labels and different ways of thinking of things. So I do see it a little bit in the younger culture. Like they're not as obsessed with particular, like some are, but they are a little bit more accepting. Even to say that they are like pan or that they're non-binary, that is a great way to be able to reclaim your own sexuality. If that's who you are like that, I love that about this upcoming generation that they have permission and they are doing it. And that's awesome. Well, and a lot of times when we go into the schools, I've said stuff like this woman is taught this, or this man is taught this, and they will catch me on it. And they'll say, why don't you just say this person? Why are you saying this man or this woman? It's like, you're right. I have to go to that personhood. However, the reason why I'm going into schools, why I'm invited to come into the schools to talk about eating disorders and body hatred is because they have a horrible problem with it. And it's not just the kids that are non-binary. It's everybody across the board are having a hard time with food and weight. And so 
we're still having that. We are. It is like we're chipping away at this big iceberg of what our belief system has been as a culture. I think it's been, you know, transgenerational, chipping away at the objectification of people, like helping people think more critically. Like, what is it about this person that you really like? It's interesting when you think about pleasure and body, like any size, any shape, any variation can have an orgasm or can have pleasure in their body. So it's like, why would we think that you're only going to have, and this is some of that disordered thinking, like, why would you think that you're going to have a great sexual experience only if you have a six pack? I guarantee you there's all shapes and sizes that are having great sex and not having a six pack. But the people who have such body hatred, they don't, cannot believe that. I didn't believe it. I felt like I needed to look a certain way in order to have good sex because that's how I felt better. And it almost didn't matter if the person I was having sex with said, I thought your body was beautiful. It's like nothing. Shut up. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you're an idiot to say that. <laughs> you know, and they would say, I love your butt. Yeah, be quiet because whatever <laughs> about you. <laughs> about me. Anyway, so I know that is a thing that comes up for a lot of them, a lot of people. You don't like your body. Oh, you don't think that you're sexually okay because you don't like your body. Let's go there rather than put it on this outside people that want this certain thing. But the boys and the girls have both been brainwashed because, again, when we go into schools and talk about any of these issues, they'll say, that girl is okay, but that girl not okay. And the difference is what their bodies look like, not who they are as people or how good of a student they are or how much they love their parents. It's about that girl's okay and that girl is not. So when we break that kind of stuff down, why isn't everybody okay no matter what? It's wrapping their heads around that sometimes is really hard. Yeah. You're right. And I think that's where we start to talk about like objectification. Like, where did you learn about beauty? Where did you learn about what's hot? Where did you learn about what's sexy? And I think that's really some of the questions that we want to bring in for people is what makes that person better looking than that person? Like, because a lot of these people are probably learning from media. Or oh, for sure. about what is supposed to be hot or what's supposed to be sexy. And is that, again, like helping people learn that you're being sold something. So you're just an object of something to be sold to. I think like with reclaiming sexuality or reclaiming your views on it, or even helping teens reclaim their own viewpoints, it's helping people like question, think a little bit more Socratically about like, why do they believe the things that they believe? Especially you have a great age when you're going into the high schools and, and schools and stuff, because that's when they're starting to formulate how they want to think and who they want to be and how they want to engage in society. Yeah. And I have clients who have had eating disorders and body hatred most of their lives. And then they get to a certain age where maybe their husband died or they got a divorce, their wife left them, whatever it was, and they're coming in to look at these issues. They'll say, well, I'm really lonely. So, well, let's get some love in your life. Let's get that going on. And Well, who in the world would ever have sex with this? Look at how much weight I've gained in menopause. Look how, how wrinkly and old I am. It's maybe another old wrinkly person will think you're great. Or maybe just somebody who loves you for you. Why don't we just go there? It's very weird how we start to think about losing our sexuality at a, I think, 
earlier and earlier age in the culture that we live in. There was a great documentary, um, Misrepresentation. It came out, I want to say probably 10 years ago now. But I think in there, they quote a statistic. And this is, again, probably 10 years old, that women over the age of 40 don't really have a place in Hollywood. Once you hit that magical number of 40, like you're seen as not sexual anymore. And you're somebody's mother or even grandmother or an aunt. But a male can be sexually attractive all the way up through his 70s because he's okay, still got it going on, whatever that is, you know? Yeah. And some of that I think comes from like, if you are in childbearing years, and again, that kind of comes from a dominant standpoint, like I can impregnate you and you can have a kid. And so now that makes you sexual and sexually viable. But like after 40, most of us start to get, you know, perimetopausal and going to menopause. And so we're seen as we can't dominate over you. No. And yeah. And now you're, I don't need you. I don't need you anymore. There's a bunch of other younger girls that are coming up that want to have me in their life because now I have money. It just gets so convoluted and crazy. And there's that abuse of like sexual power. Your only worth is then based in if you're sexually appetizing to somebody. And so again, like working with clients, like this is the type of stuff that we probably bring into sessions. And again, going through that spectrum of just being abused from the culture or having assault, like this is you getting to reclaim your sexuality. Sometimes I know this like person that you were talking about saying, coming into your office saying like, oh, you know, I'm wrinkly and maybe nobody wants to have sex with me. What if they wanted to have sex with themselves? (laughs) What would that be like? Crazy talk. I know. And what would it be like to pleasure yourself? Like that is just people are like, oh my gosh. No, don't even say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you might have said the word vibrator. That's so scary. Right. But this is the type of stuff like we get to say these things. You get to do these things. This is part of you reclaiming your body. And those are the things we want to bring in when we talk about like sex and sexuality with our bodies and like our body image. Get to know yourself. Get to know who you are as a sexual being. And maybe that's without somebody for a little bit. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. And again, in this culture, this male-dominated culture that we still do live in, even though I've been marching for feminist ideal since, I don't know, what, the 70s, I think. When I first heard about it, it was like, this is what I'm getting on board with right here. But it's still male dominated. So for me, it's across the board femininity that you get to work in a job that you want to work in. You get to be paid equally. You get to have equal sexual power in a relationship. You get to have whatever body shape and size you are. You get to have that. So to me, you know, I used to have an argument with somebody in my family who thought femininity was going to make everybody have to go to one bathroom, you know, and be like, I can't even talk about this. This is so stupid. But uh, (laughs) because the bigger issue was that we get to be equal. And I would get pushback from people in my family who live in a whole other place than California (laughs) that would say, we're not equal. 
we need men. We have to have men in order to have babies. Blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, actually, you don't even need that because you can have a test tube baby. You know that, right? And it would be, well, we're not equal. We're not as strong and we're not as powerful. We're not as, there's just this alignment with a different idea that drove me crazy and still actually does to this day. (laughs) And I love that. I agree. As a feminist myself, I believe that we do deserve, we deserve equal pay and equal rights. And I love that you said equal power in sexuality. And that is, I think, so important. Like men have been kind of like the playboy man has been able to be the playboy, but there's been a lot of this like slut shaming, like women can't do that. And I'm hoping there's a turn, like we're seeing more women become like more vocal about sexuality, but this is what we need. Women get to play the same way that men and with their sexuality, however they want to express it. And we don't have to turn into men. We don't have to wear a suit and tie. We can be equal and still wear a dress and high heels. Let's not talk about what we're wearing. You, know? you still get to own the sacred feminine. I think it was Clarissa Pilacote who talks about like, when you look at fairy tales, there's a dark side and a light side. And we think that's all outside of us, but it's all within us. We all have a sacred feminine and a sacred masculine within all of us. So it doesn't mean like just because we're feminists that we don't believe in the sacred feminine. It just means that like we recognize that my husband has a sacred feminine and masculine within him. I have sacred feminine and masculine within me, and it depends on the situation on which one is called upon. That's right. Gloria Steinem's, I was at a talk that she gave many years ago, and somebody says, it's been proven that you can't have it all, that you can't have a kid and a job. And she says, that hasn't been proven at all. (laughs) Because (laughs) you can, if the husband is equally as involved in the child, you can work a full-time job. Both of you can. You have to give up certain things, of course, but it's getting more of an equal partnership in the home and in the workplace in order to do that. And She says, I just feel like it's better for me that I stay home with my young children. That's the decision I made. She goes, and that's what it's about. The choice. You get the choice. You can totally choose that. Or he could choose to stay home with the children. It's the choice is what we want. That's what we're after. It gets so black and white thinking, especially sexuality gets so black and white thinking. I've had so many of my clients that were horribly abused sexually and to see them come out of that and not only love themselves and love their bodies and love their hearts and souls and minds, but also to love their sexuality is a huge recovery. And wouldn't that be great if that's what everybody got? Yeah. And I think like when we look at like sexual assault, like, yeah, it's beautiful to be able to reclaim and it's so honoring and beautiful to see people come back to themselves and reclaim their body image and who they are, their soul. It's like that soul retrieval. That's right. I've worked with rape survivors, of course, lots. There's a sort of a dead end about that person got soul murdered. They're never going to be okay. They're never going to be fine. It's That's not true. They can recover. Of course they can. They're always going to be scared of men, as we should be maybe in certain circumstances. <laughs> you know, it's good to be able to say, this is not a safe place for me. And that's with anything that's going on. Maybe not standing in the middle of the street is not good for me when cars are all over the place. So we need to have that kind of radar, but we don't have to live underneath that. 
So when you work with women, how do you start to work with them in claiming their sexuality, especially when they have had or they're still recovering from an eating disorder or body hatred? How do you start to bring that piece in? When I'm working with somebody who has a duality of body hatred, sexuality, and sexual assault, I start to talk about the soul versus the body. And I start to talk about how in an eating disorder, it pits our minds against our body. Like all of a sudden we're at war with ourselves. And I started to use word like soul. And I think that is like such a scary word right now. People want to have linear thinking or like DBT or CBT, but I think when we look at psychotherapists, the soul. And so really we start to look at what our hearts are saying versus how we're displaying that externally. So if I'm dealing with somebody who's severely anorexic, like they're pulling away, they're shrinking and shrinking in their hearts as well as their bodies. So we start to look at what brings you joy. Who are you? Who are you really without this eating disorder? Who are you beyond this body? And once somebody has a better sense of self, then we can start to look at like how how do we reclaim this body as to marry the two together again so that they're back in peace and harmony? Yes. And it's such a process, isn't it? I've had women who started getting molested when they were young children. And then at some point, the perpetrator said, if you start to get fat or you get hips or thighs like a girl, I'm going to start looking at your younger sister if they were that open and blunt with them, but they got that idea. So in order to save their younger sister, they got an eating disorder. So they stayed like a young child so that they kept the perpetrator happy. And then many years later, when they're dying of anorexia and really having a hard time, if you go follow that silver or gold thread all the way back to where did you make this decision? And that's what the decision is. Oh my God, I need to make a new decision that I'm no longer trying to stay thin in order to keep somebody away from my younger sister. And it's a beautiful thing to go back and reclaim that. I can be whatever size and shape that my body wants to be, but it is a lot of work, especially when you've been sexually molested. I don't even know one woman. I don't know one woman in America that hasn't had some kind of weird sexual thing happen to them. I had a dear friend um, once say, you know, it's not if my daughter is going to be assaulted, it's when. To some very degree. Yes. Something is said to you at work or something is you're touched in a weird way that it's creepy, you know, or whatever. You're shown stuff that you should not be shown. So how do we even cope with that as people who are working with women who have had this happen? How do we hold that for them and let them discover that and then come out the other side of, I'm not going to let that one stupid guy that took his penis out at me in gym class. I'm going to let that one person ruin the rest of my life. Yeah. I think about like Peter Levine and his work when he talks about a lot of times with sexual assault, we go into freeze. So there's fight, flight, or freeze. And with sexual assault, the safest thing that we could have done was going to freeze because a lot of times if we would have fought, the perpetrators are bigger than us. If we would have ran, they might have caught up to us. So the safest thing we did was freeze, but a lot of people then beat themselves up about having having this free state, like I should have done more. I should have done this. I should have been Wonder Woman and yes, exactly. And beat that person up. Yeah. So 
I think, especially seeing the Me Too movement, one of the greatest things I think for me in seeing that and working with clients was it gave people voice. And that kind of helps make that movement. Like if you are in freeze and you can find a voice, that voice can be fight for you. So if you are in an office meeting when somebody has bad behavior, like that voice can be a fight. It can help complete that cycle for you. So helping people move from frozen to actual like, completion, which would mean like they would feel like they were empowered again. And we really are like, granted, there are certain situations and certain times that we do not have hundred percent of the power, but we do have the empowerment within us to be able to complete things and to set boundaries, especially in like places like workplaces. Yeah. That is such a good point as to how to have these boundaries. How do we use our voice to have the boundaries rather than quit and get a different job or make them quit or whatever? And like I said, I think we're talking about mainly women, but men have weird stuff happen to them too, either from other men or from women themselves. It just gets really sick and funky. You know, I can remember I had a really wonderful coworker, much much earlier in my life when I was a bartender and the girls would just fawn all over him and I can remember him saying it's embarrassing because they don't really know who I am and I thought you feel exactly the same as I do why are you all over me when you don't even know me at all why are you thinking putting me in a box and he felt the same way and this was like a really long time ago probably 1973 that was really a long time ago it's been happening just hasn't been happening just right now. And how do we teach our clients or, or hold the container for our clients to learn that they don't have to be treated like that and they don't have to treat themselves like that? Yeah. A lot of the exercises that I will do like in session is I'll pair body movement with voice. And so sometimes we'll think about a perpetrator. We'll work on saying no, and I'll have them lift their hands up and put them out in front of them, like big stop signs and say no. And just even in that exercise, we'll practice just saying it with each other. And then we'll imagine the perpetrator being in the room with us. And it's interesting. Sometimes it takes weeks for clients to be able to say no with their hands out firmly like that. When we imagine the perpetrator in front of them. But again, it's about gaining that power back within ourselves and setting those boundaries. And even if it's not directly with that, we're not going to float back in time and set it directly, but just knowing that it's within us, like calling the soul back into the body is that you have it within you to be able to, to do these things. To I say love no. that because that's what happens so much of the time. I know from my own molestation, I don't really think my soul left my body, but it felt like it did. It, I feel like I felt like I left my own body. I, when I think about that time, I think of myself as way up in the corner in the ceiling. I don't even think I was there. That was part of my recovery was to get all these parts back into me. We're a unit here. It's not okay to just leave. We have to stay here in order to fight back. I think if you think of that imagery, that actually is a very common thing that I hear of when people have childhood molestation, they think about being floating up in the corner and in the room out of their bodies. Like that, like being able to say no, that's the sacred feminine because she's the protector. She's like the nurturer, the one that says to that little girl, like you're safe, we're safe now. We're here. So we the, survived. The goddess Hera, you know, the yeah. goddess of the hearth 
come home. I tell my clients, call yourself home. You find yourself eating in front of the refrigerator, call yourself home. You left the building, Elvis left the building, call him home. He (laughs) has to be here. If you're going to eat, everybody has to be present. So you get to be there with yourself. I love that. Yes. Such a good tool. Before we go, is there anything you want to say about your own business that you're doing? Anything that you want to tell the world about right now? I think Eating Disorder Collaborative opened six months before the pandemic shut us down. So our heart and my heart has always been in bringing people together in community because I believe that's how we heal. Whether it be through an eating disorder or trauma or body image or societally, I feel like when we come together, that's when we really heal. And so our goal and our hope is that in the second half of 2021 and into 22, that it's funny. I have to think about the years now because it's that whole one. So I'm like, what year are we in? (laughs) And the dates and the months, it's all just literary. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, like we're trying to get people back together. And our hope is right now we have online groups running, but we hope to have in-person workshops and groups going again. Beautiful. Beautiful. And this is in Roseville? Roseville, California. Yeah. Okay. That is great. I am so glad to hear it. So I'm wondering if you will read this last part of the card. Today, I will practice realizing it's not my size that limits my sexual experience, but rather it's my shame and fear. The same feelings that are so often at the core of my struggle with food and weight. I will experiment with looking at my body, the expressions of my sexuality and my sexual desires as natural, pure, precious, and sacred. Oh, thank you. And wouldn't that, what kind of a different world would we live in if we thought of sexuality, like we all thought about it as natural, pure, precious, and sacred. There just would not be the molestation and the sexual rape and date rape and just that whole tearing down of our sexuality. It just wouldn't be there. Maybe there'd be a little bit, but it wouldn't be as crazy as it has gotten. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you for being you and and putting this together. You too. Thank you for your work. Thank you very much for your work. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.